0: good morning, class. Good to be with you again today. Our audience is a little bit slim. I think it's because everybody's vacating over this long weekend. Uh, But we're glad you're here, and hopefully the Lord will be an encouragement to you through His Word today. I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. This is a prayer that's going to teach us how to pray for others, intercession for others, so that they will learn and appreciate and apply the major priorities in life. That's a great need in the church today. Church is filled with people who know the Lord, perhaps, but they don't know how to grow and develop. And part of the problem is we need to teach them how to do that. But another part of the problem is we need to take ownership of the fact that we're supposed to be praying for those people to accomplish the kinds of things in their lives that God wants them to accomplish. Now, Ephesians chapter 1 is dealing then with how do I help other people through my prayer ministry to develop priorities in life. Now, let's pray and ask God's blessing. Our Father, we thank you today for the joy of knowing you, for the joy of being able to come into your presence, for the joy of knowing that you want to work through us and challenge other people uh, with uh, the teachings of the Word of God. Now today, as we go through Ephesians chapter 1, the prayer here, help us to understand, but beyond that, Lord, help us to make application in our own lives, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. Now today, folks, I want to remind you that we've covered a lot of material in the last few weeks that I've been with you, I've uh, reviewed all of that to just tell you what we have accomplished. I'm not going to do that because the list getting so long now, but the issue that I do want to raise this morning is this. And that is the fact that there are a number of major prayers, Pauline prayers in particular, in the New Testament. Last week, we looked at Colossians 1. How do I help other people mature in the Lord through my intercessory prayer for them? Today, we're going to be talking about those priorities of life, helping them to understand those things that are most uh, important in the eyes of God according to the Scripture. The other thing that I did last week, and I want to follow up on that a little bit, is that I shared with you the fact that uh, that I have a prayer list, a little cheat sheet. And I showed it to you. It's all raggedy because I only change it every couple of years. I do everything in pencil. And when somebody dies, for example, we had a brother-in-law that died this week on the operating table. Well, we scratch his name. You know, we're not praying for him anymore, but we are praying for the family. Uh, But the thing that I want to point out to you that I think is is, is very important is the fact that when I go through my prayer list, I don't know how I failed to mention this last time, but these prayers that we're going through, these are prayers I actually pray on a regular basis for my family all the way to my great-grandkids that don't even know the Lord yet. And I take one of those prayers each day, and I pray for my family, and I pray for the missionaries and the pastors that we pray for and other people as well. And uh, I look at my list, and I want to read it to you. On Mondays, I pray Colossians 1 for my family. On Tuesdays, I pray Ephesians 1. That's the one we're going over today. And Wednesday, Ephesians 3. Thursday, Philippians 1. Friday, Philippians 4. And then Saturday and Sunday, uh, Sunday, we go back to Colossians. But the latter part of chapter 1, where there's another prayer. My point to be made this morning, class, is this. If the Bible has given us these prayers, I'm not suggesting that we memorize them or pray them rote memory. But when we do pray, and I I don't object, and I do it, I use some of the words, most of the words in the text. But in my mind, I'm thinking, what does this mean? It's not just a rote thing. Everybody with me? And I want to pray for my kids that way. The other thing I want to say to you is my sheet looks like it's awful small uh, that I don't have many people to pray for. Well, it usually takes me an hour or two to go through my list and I and this is I'm not trying to be braggadocious. I want to be helpful. And one of the things I have done is I looked at my missionaries and and pastors. I'm praying for 27 missionaries or pastors and their family. And in cases where I know about the kids, I'm praying for them too. Uh, and then when I have a final section where I'm praying for others, that could be anybody, friends. Uh, I pray for pastor. Uh, and that kind of thing. Understand what I'm saying? I pray for those people, and there are 40 of them. Now, if we're going to take seriously the ministry of prayer, it involves this kind of thing, all right? And when you read Paul, and he says talks about prayer being hard and difficult, one of the things he means by that is, if we're going to pray for all these people that we're supposed to be praying for when it's in our area of uh, influence, It's going to take some time to do that. Now, I know I have more time because I'm retired uh, than uh, a lot of other people. But I was doing most of this even while I was in full-time ministry and teaching in the college. I'd get up some years. I was getting up at 4.30 in the morning to accomplish my goal. Now, that's just a reminder of what I'm after. Folks, I don't want you to just understand facts. I want you to take the information and use it. Comprehension without application just makes you prideful. But a comprehension with application will make you humble because you realize you're not functioning in the way you should all the time, maybe even most of the time, and we need to spend more time with the Lord, worshiping him and praying for others. Now, Ephesians 1, how do I pray for people so that they will develop the priorities in life. I want you to look at uh, at verse 18. And we'll just start there by way of introduction to the subject. Oh, verse 17, sorry. Note uh, that God, uh, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, this is Paul praying now, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge, and that's epigonosco. We studied that last week. Gnosko to know, epe, preposition before, intensifies it. In other words, we're talking about not just knowing facts, but applying them in our life, okay? That uh, he, he will, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the experiential knowledge of him. Now watch it, verse 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the, watch it, hope of his calling, number one, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, number two, and three, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Now, I want you to look up here. There are three priorities. One, the hope of his calling. Second, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And third, we need to understand and appreciate and apply and experience the exceeding greatness of his power toward us. Now, there are the three priorities. Now, let's go back and look at each one of them. And the first thing, if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, we'll talk about the hope of his calling. I would write beside that in the margin the word security, the hope of his calling, the confidence of his calling, our confidence uh, in his calling in our lives. That's security. The second one, the riches of the glory of his inheritance, that's our destiny. That's where we're headed. And then third, the greatness of his power, that's our ability Through the Spirit of God. So it's security, our destiny, and our ability to function until we go home to be with the Lord. Now, with that, let's go back and look at the hope of His calling. I want to do something that's going to take a little bit of time on this first one this morning, but I think it's important. What is the hope of His calling? Well, we've got to know what the calling is. And I want you to notice that. In Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 3 and following, following that leads up to his prayer. The point being made here in Ephesians 1, in the early chapters, is threefold. Number one, in verses 3 to 6, it talks about the Father's plan for our salvation. The Father's plan, verses 3 to 6. And then, Uh, in verse 7 through verse 12, the Son's process. In other words, the Father planned our salvation before the foundations of the world. But it's His Son that came and carried out the process that made our salvation sure. And then finally, when you get to verse 13 and verse 14, you have a third point, and that's the Holy Spirit. In other words, you've got the triune God involved in our salvation. And in the case <clears throat> of the Holy Spirit, He seals us and becomes the pledge, the earnest, that what the Father promised and, uh, and planned, and the Son carried out the process, we are secure in knowing that it's the Spirit of God that seals us and gives us the earnest until we get to heaven. Amen? Now, let me just run through that real quick. This is the hope of his calling, our security. Look what he says in verse 3 of chapter 1 of Ephesians. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who have blessed us with, watch it, all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. There's no more blessings coming later. We get it all. It's a package deal. Everybody with me? Now watch it. Here's what he says. The Father's plan. He chose us, look at it, accordingly have chosen us in Him before the foundations of the world. Why? That we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. He chose us. By the way, I don't want to get into a sticky problem this morning, but He chose us. He elected us. And the idea in this particular verse, He chose those particular people who are in Christ. In the Greek text, the preposition is not ice. He chose us to be in Christ. It's in. He chose us that are in Christ. Everybody with me? Now, don't want to go any further on that. He chose us. When? For the foundations of the world. The second thing he did. He adopted us. Look at that. Verse 5. Having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, notice... In each paragraph, when it finishes talking about the son's or the father's plan, he says, to the praise of his glory. Now he talks about the son. Son carries out the process, verse 7. First thing he does is provide us re- with redemption. In whom, that is, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his glory. Then notice in verse 8 through verse 10, not only did he provide us with redemption, well, what else did the Son do? He gave us enlightenment. Notice what it says. He says in verse 8, the extent of that enlightenment, wherein he have abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. That's enlightenment. Something that was hidden from uh, the world from the past. Now has been revealed to us all wisdom. Verse 9, having made note unto us the mysteries of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself. All understanding, in particular, the mystery that's never been revealed before. Now, look up here. If we have been adopted into the family, we have been chosen and adopted, and we have now have the forgiveness. Guess what? We're in the family of God. And guess what? He wants us to know the family secrets. All the things that the world doesn't know, He's, made it, he's provided it to us through the enlightenment in Christ. So we have the, the content, of, of the extent of it. It's all wisdom and knowledge. It's the mystery of God. And then it has to do with the authority of the Son that in the dispensation of the fullness of time He might gather together in all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and earth. In other words, Christ is going to have the ultimate authority present in our midst. That's what's coming. And He wants us to know about that. But there's one final thing. If we're in a the family, there's an inheritance. So He says in uh, verse 11 and 12, "...in whom also..." We have We have obtained an inheritance. Why? To the praise of His glory. Verse 12. See it? Each paragraph ends with praise. Now notice verse 13 and 14. He's going to talk about what part the Holy Spirit plays in this wonderful hope of our calling. In whom ye also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after you were believed, you were sealed. Notice what it says. Sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. We are sealed. Now I want you to look up here a second. When we talk about seal, and I'm sure pastors dealt with this, we've heard it, Bible teachers talking about it. Let's just remind ourselves. When we talk about sealing, we're talking about a means of identification. We're talking what most people use as illustration is the branding of our cattle that tell us that they belong to us. Well, the Holy Spirit is the brand of God on our life that we belong to Him. So it deals with identity. It deals with security. I used to work at richest department store in downtown uh, Miami. And when the truck came in on the platform, there was a Little aluminum seal with a number on it, and if that seal hadn't been broken, you know no one had gotten in and stolen anything. And I had to write that down. Then when the truck left, I put one on and seal, and that would guarantee the security. That's a seal, okay? So it deals with security, and the other one is authenticity. This is for real, stamped, okay? Now that's the sealing. But then notice he says, verse 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. When you buy a house, you put down earnest money. That's what he's talking about here. The earnest money, if you please, in our salvation, the hope of our calling, is the Holy Spirit in our life. Amen? That's a pretty good earnest money. Now, there's the hope of his calling in this context. Now, explained in different ways, in greater detail, and different details in other places. But that's what he wants wants us to have in in this particular passage. Now, the thing that I want you to see here is that this is a guaranteed calling that God has given to us. Go with me to Ephesians four for just a second, and uh, we'll see about this again. Uh, in verse 30 of Ephesians 4. Look what it says. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed. Uh, How long? Until the day of redemption. You are sealed, child of God, until He comes back and takes us to be with Himself. The day of redemption. That's the hope of His calling. That's a tremendous thing that we have. So the hope of His calling is dealing with security. Now, that's in the present tense, uh, or, in, or in the in the future tense. That is, in the future, we're going to get all of this. It's promised right now we're going to get it in, in the future. And there's one other passage that I want you to look at with me, and that is uh, in uh, Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. I've memorized this this one because it's so important, but we'll read it together. Titus chapter 2, and I want you to look at verse 11 and 12. Look what it says. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. Doing what? Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this uh, present world Why? looking for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Christ Jesus. The blessed hope, that future when we go to be with Him. Now, it may be that we'll go home before He comes back, but we're going to be there, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Amen? Now, folks, listen. That's a fantastic priority. And if Christians would get a hold of this, And take it as their own. Take ownership of that hope of his calling. It'll change your life. Because as we are looking for the blessed hope, it's going to impact the way we live. If the President of the United States would come to our service and we were alerted he was coming, I'll bet you we'd be on our best behavior. You may not like all of his politics, but he's the President. With me? And so special people come into our lives, and we prepare them. We have dinner guests. We prepare for them. So the text says we need to have this hope. And, folks, how do I help other people have that kind of mentality? My whole life revolves around the fact that one of these days I'm either going to go to be with him or he's going to come and get me. Guaranteed. How do I know? I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit. And I have the pledge, the earnest of his inheritance in our lives. Now, there's a, a present uh, dimension in this uh, this hope of his calling. We've been talking about the future and ending up with a blessed hope. But there's there is hope for the present as well. I'd like for you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. And I want you to look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3. Look what the the verse says. This is Paul remembering without ceasing. He's praying for these people. Your work of faith labor of love, and watch it, patience of hope. Now, wouldn't you look up here, I'll give you a little Greek lesson again. These three phrases are what we call uh, source, genitive of source. In other words, what it's describing for us is something that comes from something else, genitive of source. So look at it. Uh, I I remember without ceasing your work of faith, your work that comes out of your faith, okay? Then secondly, the labor of love, your labor that uh, comes out of your love. And finally, your patience of hope, the patience that comes out of your hope. In other words, if I'm looking for this blessed hope, if I have this guarantee Uh, then I can be patient until it gets here. It's sort of like the little kid anticipating Christmas. I have a fellow that I worked with at Southeastern. His name is Dr. Gillespie. He's with the Lord now. But he went to Southeastern Bible College when I was six years old. And his whole purpose in his ministry, and he would tell anybody that, I'm not the first man, I'm the second man, but I trained those guys, and he trained me. And he went through a lot of difficulties as that school had its up and down, but he stuck it out. Why? He had this patience of hope. God had called him to this ministry, and no matter what, he was going to stick to it. Now, where did that come from? It came from his study of the word and love for the Lord. But it also came from what? Other people praying for who? Dr. G, we call him. Amen? And that's the way we're supposed to do it. So there's that future dimension, but there's also that present dimension. I'm going to be patient until it happens. Then, notice the second one. We're to pray for not only the hope of his calling, but we are to pray about the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now, I want you to go and look at verse 18 now of Ephesians uh, chapter 1. Look at verse 18 and look at that passage again. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know experientially the hope of his calling. And secondly, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? This also has a future ramification as well as a, 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 a present one. I want you to go with me to two passages. Hold your place here, but get these two passages down. This is a we're going to deal with some material that you don't hear all that often. I don't think uh, that's not a criticism, pastor. It's something. All throughout America, my experience has been we haven't dealt with it quite as much as we probably ought to. Now, I want you to hold your place here, and I want you to go with me to Acts 26. Acts 26. I want to talk about rewards for a minute. Acts 26. And we're going to look at uh, just a couple of verses there. If I can ever find Acts. I've got a new Bible here. I ought not to be using it uh, because my fingers won't catch like they're supposed to, but I got it. Now, Acts 26. This is where Paul is defending himself uh, before Agrippa. And he's explaining to him what happened in his life. And and I want you to notice 26, uh, beginning at verse 18. Why am I involved in the ministry I'm in? Because I want to open their eyes, the Gentiles, and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God. Why? That they may receive, what? The forgiveness of sins and the inheritance among uh, those which are sanctified by faith in Christ. That they might receive an inheritance. Now, class, this is what I call the initial inheritance. Remember in Ephesians chapter 1, the early part of the chapter, Christ is the one that makes us heirs and co-heirs. We have this inheritance uh, through Christ's sacrifice for us. And when Paul talks about his calling, he emphasizes not only that they'll receive uh, the forgiveness of sins, But an inheritance, they're going to get that initial inheritance. Everybody that is in Christ, the moment they are saved, they have the forgiveness of sin. And the moment they are saved, they automatically heirs and are going to get their inheritance. Everybody with me? I call that initial inheritance. But just like you and I, I hope you, you are, not only do we have a salary that sustains us from day to day and allows us to, to do things in this life, but I hope most of you or all of you are taking some of your money, putting it aside in some kind of retirement program so that it is increasing. You get an initial inheritance, for child of God there is also what I call additional inheritance. Additional inheritance. And it's what we call rewards. You remember that Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 makes this statement. There's no other foundation made than that which is made, which is Christ Jesus. If any man build on that foundation... He's already got inheritance. He's already got forgiveness. Now the text is saying to him that uh, he's to build on that foundation. When he does, he'll get additional rewards. I want you to see that. The text says uh, that when they do the things that are required, what they're told to do, obedience, they're applying the uh, philosophy of Christ in their life. When the judgment comes, Good works, that is, those who are gold and silver and precious stones will be purified in the judgment of fire. But those that are not in accordance with the will of God, they are uh, wood, hay, and stubble. They're going to be burned up. They'll suffer loss. What? Reward. But yet they themselves will be saved. Remember that in the. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15.3. So the info, information that we gather from that is twofold. One, when I get saved, I automatically am made an heir. But when I get saved, 1 Corinthians 15, three, uh, uh, 3.15 tells me what? That I can add to that inheritance. Now, we've been looking at Acts 26 that talks about that uh, initial inheritance. But I want you to go with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. This is present now. This is something we can do. Acts chapter 20. And I want you to look at verse 32 in the text. Paul has called for the elders of the church at Ephesus to come and meet with him. They've had an elder board meeting, if you please. And uh, when he finishes his challenge to them, in verse 32 he says, Now I'm getting ready to leave. And now, brethren, I commend commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up in other words, mature you beyond where you are already. They are mature because they're elders. They've already been recognized for their maturity. And to give you an inheritance amongst the saints. Now, class, look up here. In 26 of Acts, Paul tells Agrippa they're going to get saved when their eyes are opened. Uh, But also, they're going to get an inheritance, initial. But here, he's telling the elders who already have that initial, you, I commend to God, to give you an inheritance. In other words, this is additional inheritance. We're building on what we already have, so that when we get the glory, some of us are going to have a greater inheritance than others. We're going to get what Christ gives us by His death on the cross and forgiveness of sin. But my faithfulness to Him will determine additional inheritance or rewards for the future. Am I making sense here? And I don't think we emphasize that enough. But we are conscientious about saving for our retirement years or saving for some kind of emergency. But what about saving, or living, or doing, or obeying, so that you enhance your inheritance in the future with the Lord? May I make an observation? I think that when we get to serve the Lord, we'll rule and reign with Him, Revelation? In what capacity? I think there's a hierarchy. And it's based on How many more rewards did you get? Everybody with me? Additional inheritance. Now I want to stop there, and I want to take these two, the hope of his calling and his inheritance, and I I want to um, just kind of tie them together with a couple of illustrations that I think are very significant. The riches of the glory of his inheritance is talking about our destiny in the future. The hope of his calling, our security, and the riches of the glory of his inheritance and the saints, our destiny. I, I, I want to emphasize that a lot of people struggle with this. They struggle with their security. They struggle with the fact that uh, they can know they're going to heaven when they die. And part of that is they don't understand the simplicity of the gospel. But there's something else, I think, gets in the way. We learn through experience of working with dirty, rockin', rotten, stinking sinners that you can't trust hardly anybody. What they say doesn't mean a hill of beans so often. You know what I'm talking about? And so we have things, for example, we can go to the store, we can get guarantees. Oh, right. I've listed a bunch. Promises. People make promises to us. Uh, They promise to pray for us, but a lot of people don't follow through. Uh, Another one, oath of office. The president stands up and takes the oath of office to do what he's supposed to do and defend the Constitution and so on. Do they always do that? I don't think so. Uh, And then sworn in so that they can have uh, uh, testimony uh, in the court. Do they always tell the truth? We know they don't. They get caught in their lies. Uh, What about written affidavits? Money back guarantee. Right. A handshake. Ah, that's enough for me. Uh, Well, you haven't lived life very long. Am I making sense? And as a result of all of that, for example, when Betty and I Went up to teach at Washington Bible College and Capital Bible Seminary in uh, D.C. And we bought a house. And then we were reminded of it when we sold that house to come back to Birmingham. That in Maryland, in Prince George's County at least, when you buy a house, you have to sign that certain things are true. You know how many pages of them there are? 30 pages where you sign X number of times, you initial here and here and here, and it goes on for 30 pages. Guess what? They don't trust anybody. Now, with that in mind, child of God, people have a hard time saying, okay, I have the security in Christ. Now, I know it's the Word of God versus sinful man, but it catches people and they get wrong attitudes about promises. I'll illustrate. When I was pastoring in Dayton, Ohio, oh, maybe once a month, every month and a half, there'd be a knock on my door at the church. And there was our trusty mailman. He accepted Christ as the Savior, but he wasn't sure he was saved. So I'd go over the verses and over the verses. I know all that, but I'm just not sure I'm saying. What I didn't understand was that he didn't know how to trust God like he should because he had had so many experiences with dirty, rotten, stinking sinners. Now, you say, that's not supposed to be that; it. it is, and there are a lot of people struggling. So what do we do? We have to pray that they'll understand and appreciate the hope of his calling. The security that we have. And secondly, this riches of the glory of his inheritance. All that we have in him. And the rewards that we can give, uh, get that will enhance or add to the inheritance we get when we are in Christ. that makes sense? Now there's one more. I want you to look at it. Notice in verse 19a in Ephesians. And, third thing to that Paul prays, and what is the exceeding greatness, or in New American Standard says, the surpassing greatness. All of those are trying to help us to understand how great is his power. Now, let me give you a little word, another little Greek lesson. The word exceeding greatness, or the surpassing power, is from a Greek word, the verb is barlo, means throw, like throw a ball. And there's a preposition attached to the front of the verb. The Greeks did a lot of that. Huper, means over. In other words, he can throw the ball over the fence. He can knock a home run over the fence. Exceeding power. That's the word that's used here. So he's saying... Let's pray. I'm praying for you. You need to be praying. What is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working uh, of his mighty power? Folks, people need to grow. They need to come to church, sit under the Sunday school teachers, under pastors like our pastor, and, uh, and so on. But uh, the other side of the coin is we need to be praying for each other. I must take ownership of your spiritual growth, and you must take ownership of my spiritual growth. Wouldn't it be fantastic if every member of Glen Iris Baptist Church understood thoroughly and was operating under the hope of his calling and, uh, and operating under the riches of the glory of his inheritance And also recognizing this exceeding, great, and surpassing power that God has given to us. You know what that would mean? That power in us would force us, motivate us, allow us to go out and share with others. So we have hope of his calling, security. We have riches of the glory of his inheritance. That's destiny. But the greatness of his power, that's ability. God-given power. Now, how do we use that? When we pray for others, why are we praying that they will understand the greatness of his power? For two reasons, at least. One has to do with the future, and one has to do with the present. Each of these have a future and a present dimension. I want you to hold your place here and I want you to go with me to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. And I want you to see what we're going to be doing in the future. Revelation chapter 20. And I want us to look at verse 6. Notice what it says. Verse 20, or chapter 20. Uh, 20 Verse 6. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. That's the resurrection of the righteous. On such the second death have no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him for a thousand years. You know, that used to be intimidating to me. What do you mean? When Christ is on earth, I'm going to be ruling and reigning with him. How am I going to be able to do that? Answer. The exceeding greatness of his power toward us. Amen? That's it. But what about present? God also has a present dimension. And I'm just going to talk about these because the time uh, limits. When we talk about the exceeding greatness of his power toward us, For the present, we've mentioned, we'll recognize we have ability and we can go out and share. But there's two things present. One is our maturity, and two is our ministry. Maturity. How can I grow? walk by means of the Spirit? Galatians 5.16. And you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh when we're walking under the power of the Spirit of God. Now, how do you do that? I don't want to go into a lot of detail, but the bottom line is you've got to spend a lot of time with God and a lot of time in His Word, so you're tapping into the strength that comes from studying His Word and your prayer life and all those kind. and then God begins to ooze out of your life. I'm around a lot of preachers, and sometimes, and I'm not trying to be critical, sometimes I wonder, about their walk with God thankfully I don't have to think that way about our pastor he walks with God but you and I need to do the same thing the power of God his presence ought to ooze out of our life that gives us authenticity when we talk to other people about Christ amen maturity the second thing is ministry In Galatians chapter 5, we have maturity. But in uh, Romans chapter 12, again in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and again in Ephesians chapter 4, we have three passages that emphasize the fact that I can have power in my life. He talks about the gifts of the Spirit. The abilities of the Spirit uh, so that I can do ministry. Some of us have up front kinds of gifts like uh, speaking or teaching. Others of us have behind the scenes kinds of gifts. But they are the power of God, the ability of God working in our lives. Now folks, the church needs to be filled with this kind of people people that recognize these priorities we can help them by taking ownership and responsibility for praying for folk so they will appreciate the hope of his calling the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and the exceeding greatness of his power let's pray father thank you so much for this instruction in your word about how to pray for other people, about the priorities of life. Oh, God, we pray that Christians would grow and mature and evidence these priorities which will change their lives as they live for you. Help us to have a part through our prayer ministry. In Jesus' name, amen.